in the um, Old Testament, pardon me, like Erica started over the summer, and we're going to continue preaching some of the Old Testament, but we're still, of course, reading the gospel messages every week. This is in chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who had owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of the slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe! And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. 
When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And today's preaching text is found in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. In chapter 14, verses 19 to 31. The angel of the Lord, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained." But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Erica is doing some work of the Presbytery, as she announced last week, and so I'm filling in for her. But I am continuing with the same lectionary um, progression that she has been doing since summertime. And we, again, are to Exodus 14. And every week of the year, the lectionary contains an Old Testament reading, a psalm, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading. So a preacher has options from the Bible from which to preach. But unfortunately, only about 20% of sermons today come from the Old Testament. 
Even though the Old Testament makes up 75% of the biblical canon. So why do so many preachers avoid the Old Testament when they're selecting a passage? Some people say that it's because the ancient culture in the Old Testament is just irrelevant to the contemporary church. See, I disagree because God is unchanging. His character does not change through the ages, even if human culture does. So the love, the mercy, the faithfulness that he showed his people in ancient times is the same love, mercy, and faithfulness that he shows Christians today. Now others say it's because the content of the stories of the Bible are so graphic, violent, outrageous, and incredible. It's true. You've heard the saying that the Bible is not a book for children. And yes, there are a lot of Old Testament stories that are rated R and shouldn't be told to children with all the details intact. However, the Bible including the Old Testament, is a way that God chose to reveal himself to us. And so we should not neglect telling the stories. Now today's story is of the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. The psalmist speaks about these wonders of God's mighty acts to save Israel and references much of Exodus And the very interesting thing, especially about Psalm 78, is that it doesn't simply open recounting and proclaiming the deeds of God, but it opens by telling the reader to incline their ear to the stories of old and not hide these stories from the children. But tell them to generation after generation, the great deeds and wonderful works of God. So the deeds of the Exodus are the ancient stories of God, doing miracles and displaying not only his power over his creation, but over but his compassion for his people. And the story of the crossing of the Red Sea is the miracle story. It is the pinnacle of deliverance where God guides his people out of an old way of life into a new way of life. And stories like this are the kind that children do believe and they need to hear because children don't dismiss the unexplainable like adults, but they believe in faith, the mysterious ways of God. So today, as we learn about the crossing of the Red Sea, the goal isn't to go through the archaeological evidence to prove that the Exodus was a historical event. The goal isn't to debate the geographical route that the Israelites took to cross into safety. We, don't, we won't be exploring the meteorological phenomenon that caused an east wind to cause the waters to separate and allow Israel to escape from the Egyptians. And we won't debate the literary editing of the three sources of authorship of the Torah. The point of today's lesson is to tell the story. Not analyze the story, not prove the story, not to convince others that it is historical fact, but simply 
to tell the story. And this story is about God remaining with the Israelites and protecting and guiding them because they were his chosen people of the promise of Abraham. It is about God making a way where there was no way. And the Israelites believing. So we have been going through the book of Genesis this summer. And now we are into Exodus. And even though the stories are the highlights of these books for the purpose of preaching the lectionary, there is a lot left out that we need to catch up to. So last week, the story was of the Passover of the Lord after the nine plagues of God to show Pharaoh God's mighty power over the world, including Egypt. So here's a rundown of what happened between Passover and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. So the Israelites, they prepare the Passover as instructed. And God brought the 10th plague of the killing of the firstborn over Egypt, but he protected the Israelite families. Now, this was in part due to God's response to Pharaoh having all the Israelite males drowned in the Nile. Now Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron and tells the Egyptians to get out of Egypt. So the Israelites, they pack their stuff. God gives Moses more instructions about the future significance of the Passover and how to celebrate it as well as consecrating the firstborn sons to God. So a way to look at that is that God paid for Israel's deliverance with the firstborn of Egypt. And so he wants the firstborn of Israel to settle that debt. Next, God leads the Israelite people out of Egypt by appearing in a physical form as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he takes them the long way so they wouldn't have a war with the Philistines and they could stay safe and not lose hope. So then Pharaoh changes his mind about losing his slave labor. So he leads his whole army in pursuit of the Israelite army. Now, God had already told Moses that this was going to happen, and it was all part of God's plan. Now, the Israelites, they're camping by the Red Sea, and they see Pharaoh and his army, and they freak out on Moses, and they start complaining and panic. And Moses tells them, stand firm, because the Lord was going to do the fighting for them. They needed only to be still. See, the battle was not between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The battle was between God and Pharaoh. So God tells Moses, stop praying and calling out to me. Move those Israelites out of here. And the Israelites are being pursued by the Egyptians. They are literally between a rock and a hard place. They're between a mountain and a sea. They have nowhere to go. And God tells Moses, okay, here's what you're going to do, Moses. You're going to move those Israelites, and you're going to lift up your staff and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it so all the Israelites will cross over on dry ground. And then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden the Egyptians' hearts, and they will start to chase you. Sound like a good plan? Because that's where God's instruction ends. So God tells Moses his plan for how he's going to save the Israelites from the Egyptians and gain glory for himself over Pharaoh. And this is where our passage picks up. The story of God delivering Israel through the Red Sea safely. And God destroys the Egyptian army 
displaying his glory and his might. And it happens just as God told Moses it would. Now, God initiates the move by moving the guiding angel and the pillar of cloud from the front of the Israelites to the back as protection between Pharaoh's army. So already before the Israelites step out in faith through the sea, they are protected by darkness on one side of the cloud and light on the other side of the cloud. So the armies can't see each other and fight during the night. Now Moses takes action with God's plan and he stretches out his hand over the sea. And then God drives back the sea with a strong east wind until the waters are divided. The Israelites are now on the move. They move into dry ground, just like God said would happen. And there is a wall of water to their right and to their left. And the Egyptians start pursuing them. So God did harden their hearts like he said he would for them to chase Israel. But then God, in a pillar of cloud, threw Pharaoh's army into a panic, and then their chariot wheels get stuck in the mud and won't move smoothly. So now the Egyptians freak out because they know God is fighting for Israel. Meanwhile, the Israelites aren't fighting at all. They're just moving forward towards safety. The Israelites are safely across and God now tells Moses the other part of the plan. God tells Moses to stretch out his hand over the waters and the sea will come back down to drown the Egyptians and the Israelites will be safe and God will be glorified over Pharaoh. So Moses does what God told him to do and the sea came back together and drowned the Egyptians and the Israelites saw them washing up on the shore, dead. And the last verse of the passage tells that Israel saw the great work of the Lord that he did against the Egyptians. So they feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So that's it. That's the story of the deliverance of Israel. And in chapter 15, all the Israelites, they rejoice and they sing the first hymn to the Lord recounting what God had done. And the rest of the book of Exodus is about establishing his covenant with Israel as his chosen people. So this is a story we are to tell the next generations. This is a story we are not to hide from the children. We are not to hide what God has done. And maybe it's okay to make it PG rated until the children mature a bit and can handle the gritty details. So the question for you today is why? Why tell the story? The question for you is why? Well, because God does not want us to forget how God guided Israel and how Israel obeyed and believed and God still relates to us in the same way. Working miracles, making a way where there seems to be no way so that we 
will obey, and we will believe. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about the helper, the Holy Spirit, he told them that the Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth. The Holy Spirit is our guide and leads us on the path that he has marked out for us. Now, just like the escape route of the Israelites, God can see all the needs and hazards that we can't. He works to meet our needs and protect us. We must trust that his way is best. So what way is God leading you today? Do you trust that God is working for your good? And just like God protected Israel, the Israelites by going between them and the Egyptians in their camp, God is protecting you from people or things that seek to harm you. He isn't leaving you to defend yourself without guidance and protection. Can you remember ways that God protected you and kept you safe? And can you identify ways that he's protecting you today? Do you trust that God will continue to protect you? Or are you losing faith? Are you freaking out on God and panicking when you should be praying? And just like God told the Israelites that the time for praying was over and they needed to take action, the Holy Spirit is counseling you and directing your path for you to walk it. Are you moving forward or are you procrastinating? Are you not wanting to act on God's instructions because you're scared? And just like God obliterated an obstacle by parting the Red Sea so the Israelites could escape and be safe, God is defeating obstacles ahead of you as you follow him on your path of faith. It might not look as spectacular as the sea parting before your eyes, or it might not have miracle status, but remember that a miracle is something that only God can do. And as long as God is working in your life, you are experiencing miracles. Maybe unexplainable things that happen at just the right time. Situations that were perfect, perfect and smooth beyond what you could have imagined when disaster was almost certain. Do you believe that God is interceding in your life for your good because he loves you with an everlasting love? Just like God was with the Israelites, God is with you, and he makes himself known to you. Do you believe that he would never leave his people, the saints? That he will never leave you? By focusing on God's faithfulness in the past, 
you can face the crisis with confidence rather than with fear. You are part of God's story now. And his story isn't over. He has work for you to do. And that work isn't fighting battles. God fights your battles for you. You just need to be still and know he is God and not get in his way. Your work, church, is to tell God's story with your voice, with your actions, with your lives. So tell it. Thanks be to God. Amen.